Welcome to Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland. I'm Will Vandervoort. LeVon Kirkland here on the other end. LeVon, how things going, buddy? Uh, things are going well. How you doing, my man? Man, I am doing good. We got a jam-packed show today. Uh, yes. Really excited about it. Um, you know, anytime we can talk football, it's always fun, and especially talking football with you. Uh, but just to give our, our listeners out there an idea of what we're going to do, um, you know, uh, obviously we're going to do our normal coffee talk that we like to do, kind of what's on our mind. And uh, when we get through with that, we're going to talk about uh, that great performance by the Clemson defense last Saturday against the Citadel. Goose egg. Oh, my gosh, man. They just look so awesome. And then we're going to move that over to the offense. Speaking of awesome, the first-team offense with, with yes. Trevor Lawrence and, and all those guys and what they did the other day, uh, scoring seven touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to move on over to the second team offense. Kind of got some concerns there. We'll kind of talk about that, what that's going to be like, uh, maybe going forward for Clemson and if they if we think they're going to get better and how they're going to get better. And then five, we're going to kind of talk about the open week, um, how important this open week is for Clemson probably more than any other time in the history of open weeks. Um, so we're get, we got all that to get into, man, but uh, – I want to start it off with just, you know, like what's been going on with you, dude? What's been going on here this uh, last week since the last time I talked to you? Oh, well, you know, just staying busy as far as um, trying to make sure the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame is doing well. So doing doing some of that, doing a podcast with those guys. And then, you know, honestly, I have a very low-key life. And I just sat around this weekend and looked at college football and the NFL, of course. And, you know, now – you have the NBA basketball going on too, but man, I must be getting a little elderly or I'm waking up too early because I am not hanging. I'm like, with basketball, I'm only doing like the half. And then I'm like, I just hear about it tomorrow on ESPN. So yes, like last night with my cousin, he's a big, big Laker fan, but he's also a big Clemson fan too. So he have got it right. And, you know, we're going back and forth, and I, I call them the losers. I don't really call them the Lakers. And, you know, Denver is up at least by 10, and I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. I, I got to go to sleep. So I missed the second half, but it's been a pattern for me. Mm-hmm. I've been missing the second half of basketball games, and even the Raiders on Monday night. I looked at, you know, I wanted to take out Hunter, Farrell and some of the guys we got with the, um, with the Raiders, and, man, I lasted until halftime. Speaking of good problems to have, I think Clemson has a very good problem to have in the sense that you're a defensive guy, I'm a defensive guy. Yes. We love defensive football. Man, I love seeing goose eggs. Um, you know, I know Brent Venables, and I know he loves seeing goose eggs as well. Um, that's a good problem to have when your defense – didn't really drop off at all in, in, in this game against the Citadel. That's what I liked. I saw more than anything in this game. Um, by the way, in case you were under a rock or something, Clemson won 49 to nothing last Saturday against the Citadel. Yes. First shutout since 2016. Um, do you remember what game that was, LeVon, that they last had a shutout? Can you tell me what that game was? Yeah, it was the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, it was a high state. Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, 31 to nothing. There we go. Yeah, yeah so so for the high state fan out there listening. <laughs> anyway. For Ohio State. For Ohio State. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. All those years in Pittsburgh that I had to watch Ohio State play on a 
every Saturday. I mean, I, I was so glad that we beat those guys, man, because it, <laughs> I'm telling you, listening to the hype machine, it was just ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, we shut those guys out 31-0. to zero. And, of course, this week, uh, 49 to nothing against the Citadel. First one since that game. But the thing that I take from this game was how much the defense improved from week one to week two. And yes. that's the thing I noticed with the second-team defense. First-team member defense last week got a shutout. They were up 27 right. nothing at halftime against Wake. It was the second-team defense that kind of gave up those points last week. This week, they kind of stepped up and they preserved that shutout. As a defensive guy, how thrilled were you to kind of see them hold that goose egg? Well, you, you're always happy when you can shut a team down. And I think sometimes, and I have to let our audience know, that having a shutout is very, very difficult. I don't care what caliber team you're playing. It's usually difficult to hold a team to no points. I mean, you know, some teams get field goals. So it's really hard to do that. So to see the Tigers do it, man, it was really good. And I have to say, man, I'm so happy for my guy, Trent Simpson, because I really had – I actually trained him in those camps, those rival camps. And to see him go out there and get his first sack, man, it's like watching my son go out there and get a get his sack. So it was good to see him playing. And he has a lot of great potential. But I tell you what, man, those five-star recruits we got – did their thing again. Mm-hmm. Murphy is I, he's in he's in he's incredible. He's a good player already. This is just his second game, and the guy's making big time plays. I'm telling you, normally for a freshman, I don't care who they are. That's tough duty to go in there and make big time plays against another team's first string offensive line. Very impressive. Yeah, and and. Not only that, it's just like, you know, there's one thing to say, okay, go get the quarterback and do what you got to right. do. But remember this week he played against an option team. Yes. And, and actually, according to Dabo Sweeney, he graded better this week than he did last week against Wake Forest because he played to his assignments. He did what he was supposed to do. That's hard to teach a freshman who's never seen the triple option a day in his life. Yet right. he, he did that. That tells you, A, how much this guy is coachable. B, right. it tells you how much he probably watches film and studies and pays attention to things. And, you know, so when you watch him, like, you know, I watched him the other day how he gets engaged, but then he, how he able to shed the block and mm-hmm. kept his leverage. Never lost his leverage, made the quarterback have to make a decision because he did what he was supposed to do. Right. Things the fans don't generally see because they're just looking to see if somebody makes a tackle, a sack, or a fumble, or whatever happens. But it's those little right. things when you – Watch the Those man. little technique things. The technique things, yeah. What he's doing when it's not when the ball's not around and things are not, you know, yeah. what is he doing? And he's he's. I love his skill set and his his ability to be coachable and his technique and those kind of things. Brian Brzee, just dude. You, I think you played with uh, Michael Dean Perry, right? He reminds me of Michael Dean Perry. He really does the way he times the snaps, gets just, around the center. Just bigger. Yeah, he's bigger, but do you kind of see a little bit of the moves that that Michael Dean had in him? I can see him now. I I never thought I would ever witness another lineman as quick as Michael Dean Perry. I still still put Michael Dean Perry number one, Mm -hmm. but this young man here is climbing the ladder. And Clemson Clemson has had some really 
awesome defense alignment. So those guys are really playing well. And to go back to the play that Murphy made on the line of scrimmage against the option, mm-hmm. most young players, they want to tie themselves up with a blocker. You know, it's always seemed to be a wrestling match. And it's really an art form to see a guy hit and shit and get rid of someone. A lot of times those defense linemen want to stay engaged. But to see him play that option down the line takes a lot of discipline, takes a lot of technique. And I got to give whoever his high school coach was some praise because that guy is well coached. And he's going to only get better. He seems like he's a gamer, that the, that the game is not big for him, that he's not going to get stage fright. And this was a tremendous pickup. And to have him play the way he's playing at this point in time, earlier, early in his career, man, you can only just, you can only just say yes. Mm-hmm. you, you got to be proud. Whoever recruited that guy, they need some more money because he is worth it. He really is. I wonder if that's uh, Todd Bates. I can't remember who the who whoever the did <laughs> whoever saw that kid and say we got to have him. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of teams thought that way. Uh-huh. But to get him to come to Clemson, I mean, that's amazing. So maybe it was Lemansky Hall. Maybe maybe Coach Hall was the guy. I don't know. Whoever right. it was, man, good job, good job. You did a great job of doing a great job. Let me ask you something. You played linebacker. Did you yes. ever score? I know you had an interceptions. Did you ever score a touchdown in your career, cut pro or college? I scored a touchdown in college and in the NFL. Did you? I scored, okay. I scored uh, on a Greg Lloyd sack uh, against San Diego my second year. He fumbled. I picked up the fumble. Man, it was a pretty good run, actually. It really was. <laughs> All right, Some guy tried to tackle me from behind. I shook him off. I went from the sideline. I went from the hash to the sideline, like a good running back supposed to do, and I got in the end zone. And guess what? That was the only touchdown we got that day. So wow, okay. And then so me uh, and Greg Lloyd saved the day. Well, what about so you won the game then? Yeah, we won. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, what What about uh, What about uh, in, in college? Uh, do you remember your touchdown at Clemson? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we were playing Virginia Tech. Okay. And honestly. I should have got beaten on that play. Uh-huh. Uh, I stayed on the I stayed on the tight end a little too long, but then I got out. I hustled to the um, to the flats, and the ball was tipped, and it came right to my hand. Pick six, baby, all <laughs> the way. Oh man, I looked so fast back then; it's ridiculous. <laughs> it really was. My form wasn't that great, but man, that touchdown was sweet because Wayne Simmons scored against Florida State the game before. Yeah, I remember 70, that. I think it was like 76-yard touchdown. 73, I believe, yeah. Something like that. Yes, it so, was the same distance as Terry Allen's run. Yeah, he took that thing all the way. And I was like, man, that was so cool. You kind of, you know, as a player that's competitive, you wish, like, yeah, I want to do that too. Man, my, my run wasn't as long, mm-hmm. but it was just as sweet, man. So, yeah, so I, I got a touchdown that way on the pick six. Kind of cool. So you kind of knew the feeling then, and oh, the yeah. reason I asked what James Skowski, what he was feeling last week when that ball just bounced perfectly to his uh, arms, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes it just has to work out for you because, like I said before, my touchdown um, interceptions was, was tipped. I'm like, yes. So, yeah, even on a fumble sometimes, fumbles can be tricky, you know, because you think you got it, mm-hmm. but you don't have it. 
and that ball is shaped in a way that you just can't grab it. You know, you have to really bend your knees, scoop it up, and it has to be enough space that you can run. So for him, man, it did. It bounced right to him. Uh, I'm happy for him, man. That That's a great feeling, and everybody was celebrating. So, man, and he did it the right way. I When my celebration was, I just got on one knee because I was pretty tired after the run, and <laughs> I just got a lot of pats on the head. But, yeah, that was a that was a great um, that was a great play. And, you know, you're happy for a kid when they can score touchdowns because on the defensive side, it's hard to score touchdowns. Doesn't happen often unless your name is Arlington. Doesn't happen Nunn, often. Because he yeah. did it all the time, it seemed like, when he played for you guys. Back uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like he scored one every game. <laughs> I swear. It seemed like at one time he did score one every game. Him <laughs> and Dexter Davis. Dexter, Dexter Davis – um, did the same thing. So we that's the that's the year we had um, the number one defense. Yes. If you're wondering what we're talking about, yep. Arlington Nunn and Dexter Davis, I'm telling you, they had a pick six almost every game. It was ridiculous. I think y'all scored seven touchdowns that year. I believe, according to Tim Bure, I believe that's a the Clemson record for a season. Yeah. Uh, they came close a couple years ago. One of the, the Brent Venables defenses came close a couple years ago, but – Nobody still matched that mark you guys set back in 1990. I mean, that was still number one, man. Yeah, yeah. To me, I did a story on the Clemson Insider last year, uh, the best defenses in Clemson history. And uh, you guys were ranked number one. I ranked y'all number one because that was. You should have been, though. Yeah. It's not even close. You gave up only 219 yards a game. Yeah. I mean, people couldn't run the football on you. And that was an era when all people did was run. And they couldn't right. run anything on you guys. And then, of course, you guys didn't give up anything in the secondary. You had one of the best secondaries in the country oh, yeah, also. Yeah. Y'all were the number one linebacking group in the country. It, it was a fight to get a tackle on that team. <laughs> I think you had it 52 was. tackles that year, I believe, or something like that. Yeah, That's man, it was scarce to get tackles. And we rotated so much. You know, we uh, I had Wayne Simmons behind me. And then there was Ashley Shepard behind John Johnson. And we rotated every two series. So just imagine – if we would play most of the game Mm -hmm. and we all average about five or six sacks a year, which doesn't seem a lot, but we didn't really play that much either. Right. You know, as far as the games are concerned, but it was good to see the defense get a shutout. It's hard to do that. And when you can do that, you gotta be proud. Well, and neither one of us are offensive guys. But, hey, we understand that's the name of the game. you got to score points, right? Um, and speaking yes, of offense, uh, <laughs> speaking of offense, Clemson's uh, offense is one of the best in the country. They're still doing the thing. they probably got the best quarterback in the country, arguably the best running back in the country. Uh, and now we're starting to see some of those wide receivers step up and make plays. The efficiency of the first-team yes. offense, you know, what did you think about the way they came out and just had that killer instinct right from the beginning against the Citadel? Well, I, I know what most people are going to say. They're going to say, well, they played a team that wasn't up to par to Clemson. But if you really look at it closely, Trevor is operating like he went to the NFL and came back to Clemson to play for one more year. Like he gained all the knowledge that he needs to gain that first year in the NFL. And then he came back to Clemson to play just for one more year. That's how good he looks. If you look at the three touchdown passes that he threw, um, two of them to uh, Lassen, Uh one to Amari, 
they were pinpoint on the money. Especially the first one he threw to Lassen was just right there. It was a rope. I mean, that was nothing that DB could do. And the, and the defensive back was in good position. He really I thought he was. Uh, yeah, but he threw it. He he put that needle on it. It was so pinpoint that I mean, it just bam right there. And you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. And then the the 44 yarder to Amari. I don't know if you can throw that pass any better than that. No, he- I just don't. I, I always marvel when a quarterback can like how. Do they do that? I always wonder, like, how do they get the ball to drop right in the pocket when the guy is still running in stride? It's always, it was always something. Um, it was always something incredible to me. But to see this kid, just a junior in college football, making NFL throws, it was impressive. It really was. That first string offense. They look like they're in midseason form. Trevor looks like he went to the NFL and came back to college to play one more year. Like they, like he had one more year of eligibility. He already went to the NFL, started for whatever team he played for, and came back to Clemson to play one more year. That's <laughs> what he looks like. That's how impressive he is at this point in time. And guess what? He only threw like nine passes. I know. And the one that was incomplete, for, Amari dropped on the first play. Yeah, yeah, he was eight for nine. I mean, the guy, I don't think we really, I don't think we overblown it at all about how good he's playing. You think about the, the pandemic that we got going on now mm-hmm. and how practice has been challenging for a lot of teams and for, you know, just for him to go out there and look as smooth as he does, is quite impressive. Yeah, I think somebody said it. Um, um, I don't know. It was Tom Luganville for ESPN said that uh, when he was after the game was over, he says, "Man, he says Clemson. He's like they look like a team that is not in a pandemic. That's right. compared to being a great team that's going through a pandemic. They look like a team that's not even in a pandemic. That's how sharp they look." He says they're the top team in the country in a non-pandemic year right now, the way they're playing. I think so, too. I just really – when I watched, you know, they scored – the offense – they scored seven touchdowns in the first half. The offense scored six of them. Every time they scored, touched the ball with Trevor Lawrence, they scored a touchdown. Yes. I mean, that's that's all you need to know, that that's how efficient they were. And it just wasn't like, you know, they, 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 they kind of got lucked up or anything. You know, the pass to Latson. It was another – he just dropped it a dime, just right over the yeah. shoulder. Latson's in stride. All he had to do was just reach out and catch it. That's and it. just walks into the end zone. That's hard to do. That's not an easy thing to do where the quarterback can just guide the receiver that easily. You know, and it's just – Latson's so – I mean, sometimes the receiver has to slow down and kind of wait for the ball. Sometimes he may have to run up faster to go get it or maybe he has to dive. No, he's just like in stride, just a normal stride, and just looks up, and there's the ball, and boop, and yeah. goes into the end zone. Just It was that simple. Do you remember that movie Moneyball? Yes. Okay. Remember when Brad Pitt was talking to, I think, Chris Pratt, mm-hmm. the pitcher, and they were moving him to first base. Right. And he was, he was with the first base coach, or one of the scouts, and he said, hey – we're going to move you to first base. 
And he's like, oh, it's easy. Don't even worry about it. And the coach was like, no, first base is extremely hard. <laughs> he was telling like, this is extreme. That's quarterback. Being a quarterback and dropping that ball in there when somebody is running in stride. To all us normal people, that's extremely hard. You don't <laughs> understand how hard it is to throw that ball right in the basket and make it look so easy. Yep. That's what he's doing. Yeah. He's throwing that ball in there. And I have a funny story about Trevor. When I was, when I was doing the rival camps, mm-hmm. I saw Trevor in Atlanta. Okay. And he was at the camp, but he wasn't doing anything at that camp. So I took a picture with him because he's such a big-time recruit. So later on in that summer, he's at the five-star camp. I'm at the five-star camp, and our teams are going against each other. We've got the 707 tournament. Mm-hmm. Now, I was the defensive coordinator for the other team. <laughs> and I'm looking at Trevor warming up, and I'm thinking to myself, is it just me, or is he really throwing the ball that well? Because, you know, I've seen guys like Dan Marino, John Elway, Steve Young, Troy Aikman throw it that well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, like you see something, but you don't quite believe it. Mm-hmm. I was watching that kid. I'm like, there's no way he throws the ball that well. Now, we end up winning the game and winning the championship for the 707, but I got torched as a defensive coordinator. <laughs> he killed me, man. He was, there was nothing I could do. I mean, I, we played man-to-man. We played two-man. We did everything possible. And he still was just throwing. And you just like, as a coach, you're like, please, God, if you're up there, please don't let him have the ball last <laughs> when we're doing the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. Please, because he just had the talent to do it. And you're seeing it three years, flash three years now in the future and he's looking like he's been in the nfl for a couple of years yeah he's 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 off to an amazing start completing 81 percent of his passes right now unreal you know what he's doing and look, before we shift gears here but let's not forget about who he's got back there playing running running back um travis Etienne hurdling a guy this past week and you know kind of doing his thing and, and going for a long 28 yard run and uh, setting up a score. He only had, what, seven touches for 68 yards, so averaged yeah, nine yards that's, that's, a touch. That's I a mean, good average. Yeah, that's that's Travis, right? I mean, that's who he is, and just a special uh, running back. As you know, um, earlier today, uh, we got word that Gail Sayers passed away. And Oh, wow, uh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh, I thought you knew that. I'm sorry. I should have no, brought that uh-huh. up to you. Yeah, so uh-huh. Gail Sayers, you know, obviously one of the greatest running backs of all time. Yes. Um, just – and. And Travis is one of those guys. That's one of the guys he runs like when I watch him run. Yeah. That's who he kind of those kind of guys reminds me. Gail Sayers, Walter Payton, you know, Tony Dorsett, you know, those kind he's, of running backs. That's who Travis is old school running back to me. He I was gonna say that you took the words right out of my mouth. He's old school in his approach of running the ball, but he does have a breakaway. Remember that game that they played in a, the semis? when they were playing against Notre Dame? Yes. I'm with my brothers, okay? Mm-hmm. We're watching the game. Laverne and Albert, they're both big Clemson guys. And once he got that touchdown run that he made, once he got through the second level, 
the safety seemed like he was in good position. He could maybe stop him, right? It right. seems like he's in great position. Seemed like he could make an angle on it. I told my brothers, oh, he's gone. He's gone. Sure enough, man, that guy was out of there. And you're special when you got strength. You can power your way. But when you can break away, that makes a dangerous kind of running back. Most running backs, a lot of running backs, are either they're a powerful running back but not quite breakaway, mm-hmm. or they're speedsters but not, not really that powerful. Now, he doesn't really look like he's a power back, but he is because there's been a lot of plays where the first guy doesn't make that tackle, and he breaks tackles. I mean, the Ohio State game from last year, look at that. What he did with that hurl, when he hurdled that guy, it's kind of impressive. Uh-huh. And if you don't think he's the best back in NCAA, you're kidding yourself. No. This guy is a, I mean, he's a game changer. And what's scary about him, that he can do it on any play. That's a Barry Sanders kind of player that anytime he gets the ball, it can be for 80 yards. And when you got that luxury back there, oh man, your your game plan gets becomes very easy. It becomes super easy, and then it allows your quarterback, who's already pretty special, to even be more special. It all kind of right. works together. Running game complements the passing game. Passing game complements the running game. And when you got two of the best doing it, you're going to be good on offense. You know, all you got to do is just block them, block for them, and let those guys do their thing. So far, so good. Yeah, I mean. You know, a lot of times it's not about the gurus in football, the guys who draw these schemes. Man, it's always about the player now. Uh-huh. It's, it's good to be a smart guy like Tony Elliott, and I think Tony is one of the best offensive coordinators. But I guarantee you, you got those kind of guys um, running your offense, it makes it easier. And it really puts a lot of stress on the defense. As a line, you know, as a linebacker, it's hard when they can run the ball and throw the ball. It's really difficult because it gets you on your heels. You can't – you don't really know, especially with their play-action game. Uh-huh. It's tough, man. It really is. So, I can see them just rolling, rolling along. And as you talk about rolling and having special players and rolling along, kind of sets us up for our next topic. Even though there's a little concern, I think, with the overall production of the offense, second-team offense. But we'll start off with the good before we get to the negative. And I think the good from what we saw Saturday was DJU, without a doubt. Um, I'm going to ask you this first because you played college football. You played in the NFL for a long time. You ever seen a running ba- a quarterback who's six foot five, 245 pounds? Nope. Would you want That's to? That's scary. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> Don't you? It, it makes even linebackers make business decisions. Should I attempt to tackle him? Should I miss on purpose? What should I do? Like a coach used to say to us, hit him if you – he's a guy you say, hit him if you must, miss him if you can, avoid contact at all costs. <laughs> That's DJ when you're going against him. That's a big – that's like Cam Newton playing – like that's like Cam Newton coming back from the NFL after his first year and playing college football again. Absolutely it is. And that's the, the, that kind of great, great setup because 
this offense, as we know, is a power run spread offense, and it's right. predicated to power football. Um, and part of it, the genesis of this offense, was Cam Newton when he was at right. Auburn, and it was the run the quarterback power with this guy who's six foot four, six five, two hundred and fifty pounds. Well, DJ brings that element to this offense that Clemson hasn't seen since the days of Taj Boyd. Remember, right. Taj ran those quarterback powers better than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, nine times out of ten, if you call third and one and you knew the quarterback power was coming and Taj was going to get the first down, uh, broke it against Ohio State in the Orange Bowl. Um, that's what DJ did the other day. They ran the quarterback power twice for both two touchdowns. And you, like you said, you knew those Citadel linebackers were like, yeah, I really didn't like that isolation being on me. I'm just going to go ahead and let them win. <laughs> it was like business. Yeah. Guys made. yeah, let me go ahead and give some effort but not really give effort, <laughs> you know, that's, I'm sure. I mean, you know, you're in the one yard line and the goal line situation. A lot of times you can know what's going on. You can know exactly what they're running, but can you really stop it? Mm -hmm. That's the question you have. And when you got a guy of that size, that magnitude, it's not always easy breezy. It's, mm -hmm. it's not like I went against Jerome Bettis and you know, you know it's coming, but can you stop it with what he brings to the table? Yeah, that's difficult. That's good. I mean, it cuts down your red zone plays a whole lot when you know, yeah, let's just give it to him and see what happens. Let's just give it to him. It's going to be a touchdown. Yeah, and if they stop it the first time, we'll try it on second down. If they stop yeah, it, we'll do it again. One more time. Yeah, you keep running because eventually you'll wear them down. You know how coaches say run that play over again? Mm-hmm. That's what they did. Oh, they stopped us? Okay, let's, yeah, let's run it again. One, one more time, yeah. It should work this time. And it did. Uh, it didn't work? Let's do it one more time. One more time. It'll work this time, yeah. Yeah, and that linebacker's like, would you please stop coming to me? <laughs> no, no. Then by that time, that linebacker said, I'm going to be tying my shoes when the play is going on so I can miss it. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing. That way, when he's in film, he's like, Coach, I was tying my shoe. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I didn't know they were going to snap it then. <laughs> Sometimes you say, you know, as a linebacker, you just like, just let them score. <laughs> People don't think that, but sometimes you're just like, just let them score. Just let them score. I just want to get off the field. Just let them score. And I'm sure that's what those young men were thinking yeah. when they see that guy coming at them. Just, just let DJ score. Just let him score. Well, DJ, DJ obviously played well, 8 of 11 passing also, 75 yards. I thought, you know, he came in. That was a scripted time. They came in in the fourth drive of the game. They they scripted that because they wanted to get him some live reps with the first team. He came yeah. in on the sixth one also, a sixth or seventh possession, um, and tried to get the score there just before halftime. Um, and then um, and then he started working with the second team. And they, they had one good drive. They ended up bogging down. They couldn't finish it. Uh, I think DJ missed a pass, actually, that kind of – why it ended up bogging, ended up bogging down, and they ended up punting the ball. Um, but that was really it for the second team offense at that point. We didn't see them even come close to trying to score after that. They only had 111 yards of total offense in the second half. Uh, right. To me, when you watched that, what was the one thing you looked at and said, okay, yeah, A, it's good that these guys are getting playing time, but B, okay, this is something they got to get better at as we move along so they can build depth. Well, that's, I mean, just what you just said, depth is so important in college football. And if you don't have it at some point in time, it's going to bite you. Mm -hmm. 
not that you ever wish a season in ending injury on anybody, but that scenario could happen. So the guy who's next in line has to be ready. And as far as the offensive line is concerned, you know, a lot of times, thankfully, some guys can play different spots. But just imagine if some guys are just slotted to play center. Then if you're starting center gets, I mean, if somebody gets hurt, you're not really playing your next best, best guy. You're playing the guy that's up in the position. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not always good. That's not always good. You want to make sure you got depth and that those those guys who are backing up got a little bit more versatility. I'm not quite sure we're seeing that right now as far as Clemson, especially the second O-line. You, the skill guys seem to be okay. I think, you, you know, I think you don't really worry there. But you even want those guys, especially when they get that playing time, to produce. You know, let's get some points on the board. And I think last year we never had a really – when those guys got in, they produced a little bit more. At this point in time, we're not producing what we would like to see. Now, also, you know, we're usually playing against the first-string defense when we go in there. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more competition for those guys. So we can keep it in that perspective. But I think we're so custom, accustomed to seeing – Clemson's second string come in there and <laughs> also score some points. Uh-huh. So right now, we're just not seeing that production. And I can see as a coach, you worry a little bit because Dabo's all about putting getting guys opportunities to play to get prepared and ready. So hopefully this bye week gives them an opportunity to clean up some things to get a little better. And it gets better as the season goes along. That's being optimistic. Mm-hmm. but being a realist sometimes you have to wonder like, man, you, you hope everything still goes well, everybody's healthy and can last this whole season. But at some point in time, somebody's going to get a nick here, a nick there, and they have to come in. And now that's going to be the real test. So I think as a Clemson fan, that's probably one of your maybe main concerns. Do they have the depth to carry them through a championship season? And you understand that a championship season is way beyond the ACC championship. Mm-hmm. That's two more games. Are you equipped to win those two games? And I think that's what Clemson is all about now. Not just the ACC or, or winning games. It's about winning championships. And that takes depth. And that takes guys, not only your backup center or guards or tackle, they have to be capable capable of going in there and not missing a beat. So that's the only thing that I see that's really concerning to me. You know, on the defensive side, I I look at the secondary and say, okay, let's get better. But I I think our front seven is pretty good. And, you know, I think our back guys are going to, they're going to be better. And I see Dabo's always saying that this is maybe the most talented group he had and he's had in a while. And I'm like, really? (laughs) <laughs> and I know I'm not at practice every day, but, man, A.J. Terrell, I mean, Tanner, I mean, some of the guys they've had in the past, I, uh, I hope it is that way. I hope that this group is better, but I'm still a little concerned. You know, I'm still a little concerned. They're making some, ball, they're making some catches on us that I think we should be better than, especially a team like Citadel, 
that really doesn't pass the ball that well. We should shut them out. And we did a good job of, of doing most of that. But that's the only concerns that I see on this team at this point in time. Yeah, when I go look at the offense, and my concern um, is the offensive line, but same as yours, just that second team unit. Um, and one thing that makes me worry is a guy like Tyshawn Pupachain who comes in and everybody's like, oh, he's one for five. He looked awful. He was this and that. He wasn't accurate as passes. Well, that's because I think in practice, he's probably having the same problem, same issues, because generally what happens on the field is happening in practice, especially going up against that Clemson defensive front. We can only imagine what yeah. that's like. You know, I'm thinking he's hearing footsteps maybe a little too soon. I think that's a result of his young offensive line in front of him not being ready necessarily. And so when you look at him and try to examine him and compare him to DJ and Trevor, remember DJ played two possessions with the first-team offensive line. And that, right. that allows him to be a little more confident in the pocket. I didn't see Tyshawn be very confident at all in the pocket. And I think a lot of that was because he was just wondering, was he going to get hit? You know, you know where, and where is it going to come from? And you could see he could hear those footsteps as, he, as he's trying to use that clock in his head, like he's got to get rid of the ball. I think that's why you saw him go one for five. I'm not as – I'm like you. I'm not as concerned with the skill players. Um, the running backs didn't – the second team running backs didn't run well. I think they averaged like 3.2 yards per carry or something like that. You know, not worried about that because I think that all boils down to what's going on in front of them. That's, oh, yeah. And, and it's obvious that front, that young – and let's keep, let's keep in mind, these guys are young. They, they, most of them were playing high school football last year. There's like three guys on there were playing high school football last year. Another guy you brought in – from, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the defensive front last year, the defensive line, and Taquan Johnson. So he's first year ever playing on the offensive line. And then, then you've got another guy who was injured all last year and has been injured most of the camp, and he's playing center in Blake Vincent. So there's reasons for why what we're seeing, and they just kind of got to get used to playing with each other, learn how to gel. I think as the season goes along, like you said, optimistically, I hope they get better. Um, but right now, it is definitely an issue where if you're Clemson and, and somebody in this COVID world were to get COVID and going to be out yeah. for two weeks or, or so, how does that affect the first-team offensive line? And I think that's where you kind of get worried a little bit. Are these guys ready? Um, the good news for Clemson, LeVon, is they're, they're, they're in a bye week this week. So right. that, that's the good news. The bad news of that, LeVon, is that they're in a bye week. <laughs> and me and you know – Sometimes, you know, you get around – this is the time when you can relax, you get around your boys that aren't on the football team and stuff like that. Yeah. How difficult is this week for these players during this bye week? And how smart do they need to be during this bye week? Well, you have to be extremely smart because if you look around the league, you look at, you know, Norwell, Florida State, the head coach has it. <laughs> As a coach, he has it. You know how those guys are very particular about what they do. Um, Virginia, Virginia Tech had to cancel. Mm -hmm. UNC, Charlotte, and North Carolina had to cancel. Wake Forest, Notre Dame. Wake Forest, Notre Dame. So your team has to be absolutely smart. But even if they're smart, you just don't know. You just don't know. That's the that's the mystery about this pandemic that we got going on, this virus, even if you're doing all the right things, you may still get it. Uh -huh. You may still get it. 
You can put on your mask. You can wash your hands. You can do everything. And you, and you may not even have any symptoms, but you still may get it. So you're talking about young people that, you know, I know I almost went crazy when we had an open date. You, you just go bonkers. You lose <laughs> your mind. You, you want to go out and explore and you want to do fun things. I'm sure it's no different. Mm-hmm. You want to let loose because football is such a taxing game. And it takes everything from your, from your physical self, your mental self, and your emotional self that you need to unwind. And you need to be away from it. But you've got more to fight, you know. It's not just the regular distractions you may have. It's this pandemic that's going on that you really have no clue what's going to happen day by day. So, yeah. I think having an open date is always good, but in this case, man, you're just, you got your fingers crossed. You're praying that your team comes back intact, which you do anytime you have an open date, because she's like, please, everybody come back. But now you just want everybody to be healthy and be back. So yeah, you just have to have faith about it and say, hey, do the right things. And, you know, you trust your guys to do the right thing. But, yeah, it's going to be – it's tough now because it's, it's tough even when you got your eyes on them. So you can imagine, you know, an open date where you're giving them a free, some free time. Yeah, that's – you got to be worried. you got to be concerned. Yeah, and I can imagine that after the practice on Thursday that Dabo is going to bring – huddle them together. And he's going to have that conversation that he's probably had a million times with his players before they're given the next couple of days off because the team's going to have Friday and Saturday off. And mm-hmm. um, you, you say, okay, do the smart things. You know, don't do anything stupid. You know, think about your teammates. Think about your family, blah, blah, blah. Then he's got to add in the fact, guys, you've got to be even smarter this year because if you go to that party that you really want to go to and socialize and you, and you want to go to that, just think about the consequences of it if you go there and you are if you contract the virus because now you could bring that back to the entire team yeah. and then all of a sudden we're not playing against Virginia and we're probably right. not playing that next game after that and so we could lose one of those two games because they've already lost a bye week so that means there's only one day left maybe to to get things arranged so you got to be super careful right and so you know, if you're Dabo, you know, you just tell them, hey, look, guys, be smart. Um, understand the situation. Don't put yourself in a situation where you might be around a group of people that you haven't been around because you've been around your teammates. You've been around your parents. You know who your parents have probably been around, stuff like that. Probably okay to go home and do those things, but maybe don't go to that party with the city's people you haven't seen probably in six months because there's a chance one of them, and it only takes one, to bring it back and then the whole team gets affected. And here's the thing I think a lot of people out there, LeVon, don't think about. It's not the virus so much as it is the contact tracing. So Mm -hmm. this is what, so people understand. So if one guy gets the virus, but let's say six guys were around him during that time, whenever he got the virus, well, then they have to go into no less than 14 days of being quarantined. Right. And, no matter if even they test negative. I mean, because a lot of these guys test negative for the virus. Most of them do. They do two or three ch- tests, and they all test negative, but they still keep them in quarantine for 14 days. That's who you affect. 
So you get sick, but yet your teammates, they end up being in quarantine longer than the guy who's actually got the virus. You know what you hope doesn't happen? And you hope that people don't cut corners mm-hmm. when it comes to this. You know, my depth is low. Uh, one of my key players have it. Can we keep it a secret mm-hmm. that he, you know, can we just like um, forget the protocol? I can see some coaches maybe thinking about doing that. Boy. One of my major guys are out. You know, he has it. We, let's just keep it on the wrap. Let's not tell anybody. Mm-hmm. I can see that happening. And that now you, you talk about putting more people in jeopardy. Yeah. You're yeah. talking about putting more people in harm's way because let's face it, some of these coaches don't mind taking shortcuts. Right. And you just hope that doesn't happen. Can you imagine if a coach take a shortcut, a major player is playing and he spreads it to everybody? Yeah, it went, and he could spread it to the other team and stuff. I mean, I know there's, I know the test that they do. Like Coach says, they test on Sunday after the game, then they test Wednesday, um, and then they test again Friday. And those test results Friday um, are supposed to be shared on Saturday with the visiting team or with the with whoever the opposing team is. So they have to share those results every Saturday, and they have to be honest because, like you said. It only takes one, and if you don't, if you're not honest, and you let a guy go out there who might have the virus, yeah. and he goes out and plays, then you're you could cause a whole mess because you're talking about not just infecting your team, but you're talking about affecting the other team too, which could lead to affecting other people and other teams. It could did spiral out of control. I think that's the worst fear for everybody right now. It has to be the worst fear. It it really does, and you wonder. Is someone who has it on the field and you got fans in the stands. And by the way, Clemson did an awesome job of making 19,000 fans look really, really good. They did. So if someone on the field has it, could it go into the fan? I mean, go into the stands? That's a good question. I mean, we, we don't know that, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, man, this is serious, man. And, it's affecting teams already. And it's, you know, some teams have to pause and not play. And we always talk about what the, the depth situation at Clemson and how good it is. Other teams don't have that kind of depth. Mm-mm. You no, know? Most teams don't. And that, that's the, and we're seeing that. And we're talking about power five teams that don't have that kind of depth. Right. I all. mean, Notre Dame, the reason they canceled is because they had um, 13 players, uh, six players test positive for the virus. And then 13 players were uh, their quarantine as they were, you know, um, in and around these people. So trace contact tracing is why they're quarantined. So that's half your team. Now for them to cancel the game, keep in mind, or I guess we should say postpone because they moved it to December 12th. But for the post, for them to postpone the game, that tells you that probably an entire position group was infected. And that's why they can't play. It's, it's probably the offensive line or something like that or the D line. Yeah, because that's, yeah. that's, that's right. Because you can – if you're, somebody in your linebacker gets it, maybe you can move a tight end over. You could do stuff like that. Or if it's a wide receiver, maybe you can move some running backs out there or tight ends. You can get away with it with those kind of players. 
offensive defensive lineman. <laughs> hard. Know, especially guys, there ain't nobody to replace them. Especially when you're talking about the offensive line, because the offensive line, they need to be in sync. That's why it normally takes a long time for a group to mesh together because that's a tough position. And a lot of things, you know, you're doing slide protection, uh, you know, man-to-man protection, you know, blocking down, trapping, pulling. You have to be in sync Mm -hmm. to do that and to do it very well. So if two or three of those guys get hurt, oh, my gosh, it can be tragedy for most teams. So, yeah, this is, you know, it makes a, a opening date more crucial than any open day ever in the history of Clemson football and in football, college football history. I mean, it just makes it difficult. But hey, yes. LeVon, Clemson cycling out. So with yeah. that, we're, we're going to cycle out and, uh, and, and Let's cycle out yes. and get on and get on out of here, man. We appreciate all you guys out here listening to us today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll be back here next week. We'll review uh, actually, we'll preview the Virginia game, and we'll probably talk about a lot of other stuff, too, as the Tigers get ready to host Virginia on October 3rd. We'll hope you'll join us. We'll see you next time. For LeVon Kirkland, I'm Will Vanderbilt. We'll see you next time on the Clemson Podcast. 